You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast, everyone. This is Dan Darling, and I'm glad to be back with you this week. We have a great guest for you today as part of our series that coincides with my new book, Away With Words, Using Your Online Conversations for Good, coming out from B&H Publishers in August, August 18th. You can pre-order this book at your favorite retailer, but I encourage you to go to awaywithwordsbook.com because if you pre-order by August 18th, by the release date, there are some special bonuses that you can get, including a free social media survival guide. So please go do that. Pre-order is really important for authors. I'd love, if you're interested in this, for you to order in this season. But my next guest is someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Her name is Paula Ferris. You're probably familiar with her from her work as the weekend anchor on Good Morning America, as a co-host on The View. But what you may not know is that Paula is a committed follower of Christ. And more importantly, in the last couple of years, she had to make a significant career decision a painful career decision, to actually step away from some of her work at a career that she's worked hard at so long. Paula also shares with me some candid feelings about how Christians should think about the media, how the media thinks about Christians, about the kind of inherent bias all of us bring when we read the news. I also ask her about college football and her favorite team, Michigan, and what it was like growing up in the Midwest and also being a news anchor for local news in Chicago. Fascinating, fun conversation. Paula has a brand new book out about calling and career, and uh, we'll have the links there in the show notes. But for now, let's join our conversation with Paula Ferris. Glad to have on the Way Home podcast, uh, Paula Ferris from ABC News and a million other things. Paula, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I should issue a disclaimer. If you hear small children or a small dog in the background, working from home like everybody else out there. Hey, hey that's that's the fun part of it, actually. So <laughs> exactly. I followed your career for a while and just wanted to kind of maybe start from the beginning. So sure. has broadcasting and media been something that you always wanted to do growing up? Is this something that as you were in college, you're like, you know, I think I could do that. Like what, mm-hmm. how, how did that career arc take off for you? No, I mean, honestly, this was something I say, it's the dream that others had for me before I saw it for myself. I didn't grow up wanting to be a broadcaster. I actually had given it no consideration until my high school drama teacher, Mr. Barsoon, recommended that I explore broadcasting. Mm-hmm. But the reason why he said that was because um, not just my role in the school productions where he would cast me as the narrator, um, he said he liked my intonation and how I told a story. But, you know, my entire life, Dan, I've been curious and a questioner and a challenger. All those things amount to, you know, broadcasting. So my nickname growing up was Paula 20 Questions, if that gives you any sort of, <laughs> That's like, awesome. of, of, of the unique talents and gifts that I have, just like we're all given these unique talents and gifts. So no, I didn't even think about it. And then in college, I did to go into broadcasting, but then I allowed my fears really to, to, to paralyze me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to stay behind the scenes. So I focused more on production, even though my mm-hmm. professors 
had seen me in front of the camera and they had encouraged me to be on air. I just, it took a while for me again, to see the dream that everybody yeah. else had for myself. And, but so much of that, the one, one of the reasons I didn't see that dream wasn't because God wasn't nudging me in that direction. It wasn't because I had the, the gift deems for that particular direction. It was because of fear. I allowed that fear to cripple and paralyze me. You know, people, mm -hmm. what if I can't do it? What if I can't find the words to say? What if I stumble? What if I fail? You know, we all, we build that up in our head. And so often fear paralyzes us from going in the direction that God is vocationally calling us. Yeah, I, I think about that. Like the the early things that you like to do, you don't really know how they're kind of shaping your whole, mm -hmm. your life, right? Like when I was right. a kid, you know, reading the newspaper every day and just like writing, you know, who knew, who knew that would kind of take me mm -hmm. to where I am uh, today? Yeah, uh, for sure. I can't help but notice that you, I, and I think I remember this, that you were on local news in Chicago, you know, so I, I, I grew up born and raised in Chicago and watched a lot of local news. So I think that's pretty cool. Did you yeah. enjoy your time in Chicago? I did. I love Chicago. I still have a Chicago phone number that I've had yeah. since the early 2000s. But yeah, typically in, in television, I would compare it to coaching. You start small, you start in smaller mm -hmm. TV markets, you start in a Missoula, Montana, um, you start in the Lansing, Michigan, you know, you work your yeah. way up and then um, it's, you know, as coaching, you start in peewee leagues and then you work your way up. And then the pinnacle is, you know, the NFL for, for right. a broadcaster, the pinnacle is the network, which I've had the opportunity to work for, for almost nine years. Um, but yeah, I worked in Dayton, Ohio and Cincinnati, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, did the Ohio tour clearly, um, yeah. Chicago and <laughs> Chicago, but yeah, our, our older two children, we have three kids, my husband and I, and our two oldest were born in Chicago. And we love that city so much. It's so near and dear to our heart. So it was it was a catalyst for molding us and really a time for healing when my you know, my husband and I had gone through some early mm -hmm. issues in our marriage as every marriage faces. So we we love Chicago. Love yeah. it. Yeah. You're from the Midwest. Do you consider yourself a Midwest girl? Oh, I still say I'm a Midwest kid. Like New York yeah. is not home, it's home for now. My husband's from Indiana. I'm from Michigan. We met in Ohio in college, mar you know, yeah. married and, you know, did the whole Midwest tour, lived in Chicago. So definitely think we think of ourselves as, mid as Midwest kids. Yeah. You're a Michigan fan, right? So. Oh, go blue. Mm -hmm. Fab five. Yeah. Uh, yep. No timeouts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I loved Michigan. Um, my dad graduated from Michigan and uh, pretty much my whole family went to the University of Michigan. And we, my hometown is about 20 minutes from University of Michigan. So I grew up. That was a special bond that my dad and I had uh, going to Michigan football games, if not tailgating with the family or Saturdays, if we weren't able to tailgate, we watched the games like that was our that was our sacred yeah. moment, our sacred thing. So I, I cool. wanted to go to the University of Michigan, but my dad you know, he got in so much trouble in college and, and I was a bit of a follower at that point. He thought that I would probably get into too much trouble. So he said, why don't you consider going to a small Christian college? <laughs> so <laughs> that's how, that's how I ended up at Cedarville university in Cedarville, Ohio. Yes. So I got to put you on the spot. If you could predict, do you think we'll have college football this fall? Oh, I thought you were going to say, can you predict if Michigan will ever be Ohio state again? Not sure. I am hoping that we have college football. I think it's I think we're going to have it, not just because there's a lot of, there's commerce on the line, but you know, there it's mental health, it's emotional mm -hmm. health, it's an escape. And I think there is a way to do it 
in a responsible fashion. Yeah. Maybe you're not filling up the stadium. Maybe you're at half capacity. Um, maybe you're not serving yeah. beverages. Um, so there, I think there's a, there is a responsible way to do it. And, you know, we're seeing with some of the leagues coming back between the NBA and, and major league baseball, we'll see how they do it. But I, I think we're going to have football. It's just, you can't have half of the teams play and half not because right. then you're going to have an asterisk on the season. So it's got to be all in. Yeah. I think you need it too. I mean, just for the social cohesion of our country, sports oh. plays a, an underrated role, I think. Yeah. Which can is you why imagine? I'm glad to see sports coming back. Yeah. But can you imagine we've been in COVID for, for however many months mm-hmm. now going into the fall, going into the election without some sort of escape? No, that sounds people, like, I think it's making people crazier because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> Agreed. You know? Agreed. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to talk about your career a little bit. You're pretty candid in your book about ups and downs in your career and kind of getting to where you are and making a decision to walk away from a lot of what you're doing. And uh, just, just kind of walk us through like how hard that was. Yeah. Uh, was there a seminal moment where you're like, okay, <laughs> I've gotten to this place and I'm really excited. You know, God's put me here but I really feel like I need to step back. Like, what was that mm-hmm. like? Well, yeah, I mean, so I, 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 we talked about a little bit earlier in the interview, you know, I worked my way up from smaller markets to Chicago to the network. And I actually rose the ranks pretty quickly at ABC. And within a couple of years of being there, I was named the co-anchor of Good Morning America Weekend. So I was anchoring a national news show, um, Good Morning America. And then they, they tapped me to do The View and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I was just all up in my calling, you know, this thing that God had for me. And, but I got to a point, I was just, I was working so much. My schedule was all over the place. I was addicted to my job. And, it, you know, I, I, I think I've kind of lost my way at some capacity, but I think so many of us lose ourselves and misplace our significance. And we don't know who we are outside of what we do. Like when we say, uh, hi, my name is so-and-so, we then you know, either ask somebody what they do, you know, so it's just insinuated that this is our value, that this is our worth, that this is our calling as career. And I leaned in as hard as I could. And I just burned out. I really did. So at the top of my game, two years ago, I, I felt God calling me out of that space, a really unhealthy space where my values, my professed values were really clashing with the choices that I was making. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, I just looked at my landscape, Dan, the, my personal landscape, and we can look at our surroundings, you know, are, are we out of whack? Are our values clashing with the choices we made? Yes, for me, my relationships were suffering with my husband, with my kids. I wasn't going to church as often as I, uh, I was barely going and, you know, and my health was suffering. So professional high, but just a personal low. And um, you would think that that would have been enough for me to say, okay, God, I get the hint. I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a beat. I didn't. I said, you know what? I'm just going to lean in harder because God, you called me here, right? But then I went through this enduring season of hell, which I write about in the book. I call it my season of hell. And within seven months, I had these just five major circumstances happen to me. Um, I had a miscarriage with an emergency surgery. Then I had a freak accident at work where I, someone threw an object at my head and I had a concussion and I was out of work. I was knocked out of work for three weeks. The day I got cleared to go back to work after the concussion, I got in a head-on car crash. Then Mm. I got influenza, which turned into pneumonia. And I was like, all right, God, here's that white flag. I'm waving it. I know. (laughs) I knew God was trying to get me to slow down, but I was too stubborn and too scared and too addicted to take a step back. So he had to physically slow me down. 
And it was then that I said, all right, I'll do this. I know you want me to step away. I don't know what I'm stepping into though. It's not like God said, Hey, I've got a nice cushy landing over here for Mm -hmm. you. Uh, I just told my bosses, I said, I've got to step away. And I don't know what that looks like on the other side. I, I know I'd like to do a faith podcast, but I just need to get my life back. I need to work Monday through Friday. I need balance. And um, they were amenable, but it was interesting. And where I write a lot of the book is once I stepped away, Dan, I had no idea who I was because mm. my identity and my purpose, my significance had been misplaced in this job and this career. It had become to define me. And so I didn't know who I was outside of it. So um, I had to figure, I had to figure that out. And I think in this moment, a lot of us, that's where I think tragedy and opportunity can really coexist. They're not mutually exclusive. I experienced tragedy. We're all experiencing tragedy right now in this pandemic. Um, but we've been given opportunity and in, in, by way of a giant reset button, I was able to reset my life and get it back on track and um, my personal life. And I think we have a, ch- have a chance to, to just look at, you know, take a long, hard look at what's been going on in our lives. You know, have I misplaced my significance in my job that I've lost? Have I misplaced my significance in my status, which has changed? Have I misplaced my significance on my bank account, which has taken a hit? Have I misplaced my significance in some relationships? And some of those people may have suffered, you know, due to the pandemic. We have, we've all experienced loss, but tragedy and opportunity are in this moment. And um, just like it was in a moment for me, that personal crisis, I hit the reset button. And I think if people are feeling that nudge, like maybe God moving in a different direction, you know, don't be scared to hit that reset button. Um, it's normal to be scared, but if you feel a peace in your spirit, peace from God proceed, and God will ask you to step into your fear. God will ask you to press into it. He'll ask you to be courageous. He'll also promise you that he's going to be there for us, but we have to press into the fear and we have to um, take that step of faith. I think there's this fallacy that if, if, you know, we're going to conquer our fear one day or that we'll be healed mm-hmm. or cured of it. No, I mean, fear is mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible. Mm. God acknowledges it. But if you have a peace, proceed and then expect and anticipate that fear to show up. Yeah. I mean, so much of our identity is tied up in what we do, you know, particularly if you love what you do and you've worked yeah. hard for it. I, and I'm just trying to think through like how hard it has to be when you're climbing and you're, and you're getting to a place in a career that you've always wanted. And to just like say, you know, I'm going to step away from this. And mm-hmm. when I think about that, I think one, you feel like if I don't do this anymore, what, what am I even? Am I a failure? What's yeah. And what's my value and what's my worth? And number two, Mm -hmm. you have this fear that if I say no to this right now, it'll never be here again. This is it. And I'm never going to be anything. Like I've got to say yes to every single thing. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so talk about that. Oh yeah. I mean, I wrestled with God about it. I said, why did you call me to this place only to see me fail so spectacularly? But that's where I think we have it all wrong. Where, you know, society, what society is telling us church is reinforcing. Society is telling us that your worth is work, that your value is vocation, that your calling is singular in its career. We ask our children, what do you want to do and what do you want to be mm. when you grow up? As if that's their only contribution. When we meet a new meet somebody at a dinner party or we meet someone at an event, what's your name and what do you do? So that's the message and then that's reinforced in the church. Unfortunately, we're told to find our calling, that we are here to do this one thing 
And is it not always associated with career? Is it not always associated with job and what we do? Instead of finding our purpose in who we are, uh, you know, Jesus says that I have come to fulfill my purpose. His purpose was to offer himself as a sacrifice, to love God and love people. That was it. Like, and yet we have somehow, and the church has really just twisted uh, this word calling. So um, yeah, I, I had a hard time because of, I felt, I felt like I was doing what society told me to lean in, mm-hmm. but I felt like I was doing what church told me as well. And then, so I wrestled with so much of this and, and that's when God said, you know, Paula, we have two callings on our life. We have a faith calling, which is your purpose and it's who you are. It'll never change. It has nothing to do with career. It is why you're on this earth. And for me, my faith calling slash purpose is to love God and love people. That's why mm-hmm. I'm here. It's not to be a broadcaster. And for so long it was. So you noticed if my purpose is, if I proclaim that my purpose is to be the best broadcaster I can be, well, what happens when my vocation shifts, which is inevitable? I'm not going to know why I'm here anymore. So I needed to find out who I was outside of what I did. And so faith calling, I, I know my faith calling and purpose is to love God and love people. That's it. My vocational calling, unlike faith calling, will change, and I should expect it to change. But vocation is just, think vocation vehicle. It's the vehicle by which you're going to fulfill your purpose to love God and love people. It's the conduit. And when you, A, release yourself from the lie that we've been told that our only value is in doing, that our only value is in work, that our only value is in, is in status, then God gives you the permission to use the unique talents and gifts that he's given each of us to branch out and try new things. You don't have to be one thing for the rest of your life. He can mm-hmm. use that because you're remembering, huh, this vocation, this branch that I'm on, it's just a vehicle. I'm there to love God and love people. That's it. God's going to use my unique talents and gifts there. But, but I can branch out. I can try new things because I remember why I'm there. I'm there to love people and to love God in that moment. And it releases you to, to try new things, to branch out, to move past your fears, and stop seeing yourself so one-dimensionally because we are multidimensional beings. That's such a great point. Like it's more about not what we do, but what God wants us to be. Did you feel tension as I'm hearing you talk, you know, growing up in the church myself, did you feel tension? You know, a lot of times for Christians, there's a, a unique set of pressures that God has put you as a Christian in this place of influence. And that if I step away from it, I'm kind of letting God down. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Christians told me all the time, why would you give up that platform? It's like, uh, because I'm like literally going to lose my family. It, and it's, it's, it's not that God, and God wants light in dark places. Absolutely. But I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I forgot that I was there to love God and love people. And it became an addiction for me. I was addicted to the accolade and the accomplishment and the achievement and the awards, all of, all of that. And I didn't remember what I was doing and who I was doing it for. Yeah, there's this idea that God needs us, right? Like if I'm not here, God's gonna not gonna be able to do his 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 thing mm-hmm. at ABC News or wherever he had you. I want to pivot a little bit because I heard you give a great talk at Q Forum. I think it was last year or year before, I can't remember. But um Yeah, it was last year. And I want to come at this from two sides. I mean, one about, you know, I think for the average Christian. Is there a misconception about the media? I hate using mm-hmm. the word the media because, you know. The mainstream media, fake news. The, the, the media is so deregulated. There's so many different out, uh, media outlets. Right. And, you know, what are some misconceptions that Christians might have about news media, number one? And then coming from the other side, I wonder, 
you know, you've, you've had to straddle that line too. What are some misconceptions maybe that journalists who didn't grow up in the church or are not in a faith tradition, what are some misconceptions they might have about, about Christians? Well, I, I think what's difficult for media right now, we have an abysmal approval rating and some of that is warranted, but you have to remember like because of cable news, like you have journalists, you have commentators, you have columnists, you, uh, you have contributors. And so like, there's all these lines that are blurred, all right? And so like a true journalist will maintain their objectivity. That's the most important thing. They will tell the story. They don't want to be the story. But thrown in that bucket, you have commentators and you have contributors mm-hmm. who are there to make a splash. They're not there to be objective. They're there to stir the pot. And so it has become very difficult for the viewers to decipher that, to really see past that, like who's who. And so guilty by association, you know, so it's just, you presume that everybody is subjected and everybody is spewing their opinion. Um, And then you uh, assume that there are slants. And yes, there are slants because guess what? We all have an inherent bias. You have an inherent bias. I have an inherent bias. Conservatives have an inherent bias. Democrats have an inherent bias. We all have an inherent bias. And that is formed by our unique circumstances situations, the way we grew up, the way we see life, what's influencing us right now, um, what's in our circle. And so because of that inherent bias, we end up seeing things that we want to see. You end up hearing things you want to hear and you listen to your echo chamber. I mean, you can have two people that listen to the same State of the Union speech, State of the Mm -hmm. Union address. They can have two different takes. Why is that? Because of their inherent bias. So A, we need to recognize the inherent bias. B, we need to understand that there are good journalists, but there are also some poor journalists. And there are also commentators that are there who are meant to stir the pot, who have an Mm -hmm. opinion uh, that make our jobs as journalists difficult because people can't decipher. And then C, because of that inherent bias, it's up to us to cross-reference. If you exclusively watch Fox News or you exclusively watch MSNBC or you exclusively watch CNN or you exclusively watch ABC, you know what? You owe it to yourself to cross-reference, even if it's not what you want to hear. That's why, because otherwise you're going to continue to see what you want to see, hear what you want to hear, surround yourself with your echo chamber. So in order to know what's truth and what's not, um, it's best to cross-reference. But that has to come from, uh, we each have to take ownership of that. And, but it has to be rooted in knowing, I do have an inherent bias. I mean, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Mm-hmm. That is an inherent bias right there. I've worked in a very, you know, you could say liberal, secular media world. That has also influenced my purview. So I'm sensitive to, to that narrative right there. But I recognize it. I have to recognize it that as much as I say I want to be neutral, I have an inherent bias. Mm-hmm. And so does everybody. So, mm-hmm. so do we all. That's why we have to cross-reference. That's a great way of, of putting it. Like all of us have an opportunity to to really get the whole story. There's such a temptation and just a compelling thing to react right away all the time to the news and, and such a just like, cause it's so easy to tweet. It's so easy to post on Facebook. And, mm-hmm. you know, we want so badly these negative stories about people we don't like to be true. You know, so we, we, we seek it out in this way. It's gotta be maddening for a journalist to try to sort through all that and to do good report. Like, you know, that's, it's gotta make your job harder. I would say. It does. I mean, and I I remember when I was on the campaign trail with Beto O'Rourke and Ted mm-hmm. Cruz um, during the Senate campaign, and I heard from conservatives that called me 
you know, disparaging names. And the Democrats that called me disparaging names, they're all seeing the same content. You know, right. So you can't yeah. in many, you know, in some capacities, you just can't win for losing. So even when you're trying to do your job and you're trying to be neutral and you think you're being neutral, you know, people will make assumptions about you. Yeah. And, and yet as Christians, right, I try to tell Christians, like, we should care about the truth. So even if the truth doesn't confirm our priors, or if the truth doesn't help our candidate, we really should, that's what we, sh- we should be interested in. We right? should be truth seekers, but we should do so in love. Because what, what does the Bible say that they'll know you're Christians by your love for one another? You can seek truth, but if you don't seek truth with love, if you don't show compassion to people, and they don't see Jesus in you, they're not going to care about anything else you say mm. or do. They're mm. not going to care. You have to lead with love. And I'm not trying to sound all flowery and loose. No, it's true. And, it's good. No, but we, they will know that you are a Christian by your love. And it, as first, you know, the Corinthian says, if you don't have, don't have love, you have nothing. Lead with love. And that's how you get people to listen to you. Mm. If you are talking to a young journalist or someone mm. who wants to get into journalism, whether it's print or on air or radio or podcasting, what, whatever, what advice would you give? Like if you were talking to a young journalist right now or mm-hmm. a young would, mm-hmm. would be journalist, uh, what is some good piece of advice you would give? I think just don't be scared to take the entry level job. I had been working out of college for a while, um, you know, had a video production degree and I was working some random jobs, like working at Arby's and cleaning apartments and, you know, to <laughs> pay the bills. And I, I, it was at 9-11 happened when finally that dream that everyone else mm-hmm. saw for me, I finally accepted it. And I just said, you know what, God, just as you were with Moses, you're going to be with me. I know when you vocationally call people, you'll equip them. Even though I still felt inadequate, I was like, I've got to go for this. Um, I've got to step into my fear. So I had quit my job. I was working in radio sales at the time. And I handed my resume out to every television station in Dayton, Ohio. And I got hired to be a production assistant making $7 an hour. And it's just what you make of the opportunity. Um, in my downtime, I, I borrowed the camera equipment from the guys in the sports department and tripod. And, and I edited my own resume reel because that's what we have in broadcasting. We don't have a piece of paper. We're like, here's my reel. Here you, you can see what I've done. Yep. And um, so I assembled this entire reel. I shot it edited it, produced it, whatnot, did my stand-ups and everything. And I handed it to the news director. And he, you know, when I was first hired, I told him I eventually, I was getting back into television news because I wanted to report. And I knew it wasn't going to happen in Dayton because it's a pretty decent sized market. But I gave him my reel because I just wanted him to get his feedback. And he liked it. He's like, put another tape together. And I didn't know why he was asking me. I thought he just wanted more work. And I was in the process of assembling this next reel, like within the week. and. He's like, I'm going to put you on the air. So wow, you just never know. I mean, it's like, and I was making $7 an hour. So you never know, you know, don't snub the entry level job. Take it. It's what you make of it. Get your foot in the door and then you can kick it down. That's good. Last question. So if you were to give a piece of advice to somebody who is wrestling like you were with, I'm here in this place in my career, a job that I love. No, it's easy for people to quit jobs they hate, right? <laughs> but yeah. I'm in a place that I love that I've worked so hard to get to, but I feel this tug up like I'm 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 in this kind of restless stage where like I'm not sure what what is next for me. What what would you tell them? I would just say if you have a peace from the Lord, if you have a peace in your spirit that you're supposed to make a move, then proceed. And if you don't, you have this unease, then don't, then don't go forward. 
But, you know, for me, when I was feeling that nudge, that stirring in my spirit, I had to remember that God was asking me to step out in faith. And so often, you know, well, I feel like God's leading me in another direction. He's kind of tugging me in another direction, but I'm scared. And I need to know what that next thing looks like. That's not how God works. It's just not. I mean, God doesn't lay out the next chapter for us. He wants to make sure that we are willing to circle Jericho seven times. Okay. He wants to make sure that our hearts are refined. He wants to make sure that we're obedient. He wants to make sure that we're ready. And so expect and anticipate fear to manifest itself. You're not cured of fear. You know, you're not healed of fear. You should, it's mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible. God acknowledges it. And he just says, have I not commanded you to be strong and be courageous? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for the Lord, your God's with you everywhere you go. In the same way I was with Moses, you know, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. That's from Joshua one. So if you feel that stirring and you feel God's in it, then you need to proceed and it's going to be scary and accept that. But you take that step. God commands you to take that step. He promises he's going to be there. He promises and you have to just trust, but you can't see that next chapter. Uh, That's not how God works. And that's not how living a life of faith works either, but expect God to show up and he will, if he's in it, he will show up. That's a great word. Well, Paula Ferris, thank you for joining me today. And uh, just really grateful for your presence, news media, your reporting, but really your public witness. And uh, I just want to encourage folks to go out and get this book uh, that you've put together. It's it's so good and very candid, you know, and I think it'll be a a really helpful resource for a lot of folks. It's called Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling. We'll have links in the show notes. Paula, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com and find out special pre-order bonuses if you order by August 18th. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.